Matthew 9, verses 1 through 13. Um, It's in the Bible um, in front of your seat on page 813. After getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowds saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came to call the righteous, but sinners. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and go over to a parallel text to what Sherry just read for us, and that's in Luke's gospel. So go over to Luke and chapter 5, page 861, if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you there in the seats. So we're going to look at the parallel text to what uh, was just read uh, for us this morning. This is our second sermon in our new series, Grounded, which remember we talked about last week of grounded meaning uh, living life secure, uh, settled with hope and with confidence. Uh, We talked about how that even amidst during difficult lives and circumstances, we can still have a grounded life. And so we're going to continue on in this series this morning. Several years ago, I read the story of a man by the name of N.S.R.K. Ravi. That's his name, all right? Uh, born in India, and um, uh, this, I found this in a book written by Tom Rayner. If you're interested, I can, I can show you the book later. When, I'll call him Ravi, was born in India in 1953, he was born to a place of unique privilege. His family had a lot of wealth. They were also in the second highest caste of the land. You know that India has a caste system. They were in the second highest, lower only to the priest. So Ravi's life was destined for comfort and opportunity 
and his family were very devout to the Hindu faith. But at three years old, Ravi contracted polio. Unfortunately, the polio vaccine had not yet hit India at that time, and so the disease was taking over his body. His parents spent a fortune giving him the best medical treatment available. At one point, Ravi spent nine months in a total body cast, but there was no improvement to his condition at all. Next, Ravi's parents, they turned to the village gods. His father had two very expensive temples built for the gods, one which still stands to this day. Still, no improvement. Eventually, Ravi's parents began to see him as a, as a burden. None of the gods had heard the prayers of Ravi's parents. His condition worsened, and he became completely disabled. After all the work and the sacrifices and the money that was spent on their son, his parents concluded that Ravi would not walk the rest of his life because he had had bad karma in the previous life. You see, there's no forgiveness in karma. Each person, according to karma, must suffer for his own deeds of the past life. Ravi reports that one point, as a boy, his father screamed at him, saying, what kind of sins have you committed? You are nothing but a burden to us. They would not allow him to participate in special family events or gatherings because that would bring shame to the family. It was nothing but shame to them because of the sins of his past life. Ravi said, he says, I was an outcast living in my own family. I grew bitter about my condition. None of the gods had helped me. My hatred towards the gods and my family grew stronger and stronger. So at 17 years old, he stole money and ran away from home with the weight of the sins of a previous life weighing him down. Ravi could not live a grounded, settled, secure, immovable life. Maybe someone here is like that. Maybe someone here is like Ravi, struggling with the weight of sin upon them. So in the sermon series, we're looking at answering questions and even objectives or objections, I should say. And so today's objection is simply this that I hope to answer. You don't know the real me. You don't know what I've done. A grounded life is not possible. So to counter this objection, we're going to look at Matthew. And we're going to look to him who was one of Jesus' disciples. We're going to see, as we walk through this sermon today, we're going to see a terrible sinner. We're going to see an incredible Savior and a miraculous salvation. So let me read Luke's account of this. This is Luke 5, 27 through 32. Then we'll pray and we'll dive in. Luke 5, 27. After this, he, Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. So this is the same guy, Matthew, just different name. We can get into all that later, why. But sitting at the tax booth. And he said to them, follow, said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's pause and pray. Father, we've read this text. We've read a couple texts of the same account here. Thank you for your word. 
Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to illuminate the Scriptures. We talked about that in the catechism question earlier, of how that it's your Spirit that guides us into truth. And so that's what we're asking for right now. It's not tremendous skill from a speaker or fancy outlines or graphics or anything like that that are going to cause understanding of the text. It's your Spirit. We recognize that. We've worked hard to put things together for this message and this time of worship service, but in the end, God, your Spirit has to work in our hearts, and we have to be receptive to that. So that's what we're asking for. We're asking for right now that we would be receptive to what your Spirit has for us, and that I would be able to communicate in a way that's helpful and relevant, but most importantly, that is accurate to the text. And we need your Spirit to guide us in this. Thank you for this account that we have of Levi coming to know you as his Savior. We pray that's an encouragement to us today. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. So first of all, a terrible sinner. Let's look at that in the text here. He was a tax collector named Levi. Now, to us, I mean, we have an affinity against paying taxes, right? You know, none of us, uh, April 15th comes around, you know, none of us are, are just excited and just can't wait to do our taxes, right? You know, it's so complicated and so much of a burden that, you know, it's, uh, it's not something we look forward to. But it wasn't just an inconvenience in this day. It, there, was, there was a lot more at play here. See, he, this guy, Matthew or Levi, he, he was a tax collector, and uh, they were not appreciated. So apparently, uh, during this time, there was a, a few different types of tax collectors. Uh, some collected taxes that were, uh, just by, that were made by assessments on things like property and income. It was pretty straightforward. Uh, they were, the amount that was due was just the assessment, and so the person who collected the tax... It was pretty straightforward, and, and they just took the tax, and that was it, okay? Uh, not a whole lot of other decisions or anything that went into it, okay? So that was one type of tax collector. Another type of tax collector, they were the ones that collected on all the import and the exports, the tolls on the road and bridges, a beast of burdens, how many axles on the wagons, uh, pars, uh, parcels and letters, things like that. And so there was a lot more leeway on how much money these tax collectors would take from individuals. Because they would say, boy, that burden or that load that you're bringing off the ship, that looks a lot more, and so they would have unjust weights and scales and things like this. It seems that Matthew was one of these types of tax collectors because of, it says um, in another account here uh, that it was by the sea. I believe it's in John's account that it was by the sea that this, that this takes place here. And so, um, there was uh, the sense where the, in this type of tax collector, they could charge whatever they wanted. It was very much uh, arbitrary in a sense. They were willing to rob people. They were willing to be a traitor, right? Because you have to understand that the taxes that they were collecting, it was for the Roman government. And so, the Jewish people saw the Roman government as occupiers in the land that they, that they should rightfully have. And so, the fact that one of their own would be working for the Roman government and getting money from it, they were considered traitors. They were considered people that just were the lowest of the low. In fact, the Jewish Talmud, now the Talmud is a primary source of, of Jewish religious law. It's a fascinating document to read. Um, but uh, according to the Talmud, um, they taught, it, te- it teaches that the rabbis taught that it was actually righteous to lie and deceive a tax collector because that was what a professional extortioner deserved. 
okay? So this is the, the rabbi's teaching about how to treat the tax collector. So you have to understand that when it just says, when, when Luke here says, and he saw a tax collector sitting there, you have to understand the, the emotional baggage that is in this, that the first readers of this, that it was, a, it was the tax collector, ugh, right? This would be someone they just, just despised. They were willing to rob anyone. Now, it's interesting that earlier in the chapter, we didn't read this, but, um, but Jesus heals a leper, okay? There's a story about Jesus healing a leper. Now, the thing about leprosy is, is according to back in that day, is that they were considered unclean, right? And so if someone came near someone like this, they would have to go and go through this ritual of purification and cleansing and things like that because even touching or being in close proximity of a leper, that would make them unclean. Now, the beautiful thing about the gospel accounts is that Jesus, when he touches a leper, he doesn't become unclean. The leper becomes clean. It's very beautiful, right? Okay? But there's an interesting parallel here is that we have this unclean person here and uh, someone that would have been a, a, a reject, right, in society here. But the tax collector was actually considered more unclean than the leper. And the reason why is because the leper didn't choose his leprosy. The tax collector did choose his profession. So I'm just try trying to show you the amount of animosity that they had that, for, for a tax code. Now, some of you have heard this before, but it's hard for us to get our minds around. You need to work around like, okay, think of the most despised profession, all right? I'm not going to name any of them, okay? All right. So just think of the most despised profession or whatever it is and how people, they, they, they would give that. And now, now put a twist in there of like the sense of being a traitor, okay, of someone who is maybe selling secrets to uh, uh, another government or something like that. This is exactly the type of feeling that people had about tax collectors. And so when I say that it was a terrible sinner, that Matthew was a terrible sinner, that is not hyperbole, okay? People would have looked at him and said, he is the lowest of the low. And yet, and yet, we have an incredible Savior, we have an incredible Savior here. Because, see, here, this is what the whole story is about. He goes by and he sees a tax collector, and he sees him sitting at the tax booth. And so he's there actively collecting taxes. He's actively taking money from people. He's, he's lying. He's cheating. He's stealing. He's doing all this stuff here. And Jesus walks by, right? And he says something to him, and he says, follow me. And he does. It's an amazing thing. So I want to look at three things about Jesus real quickly here in the short time that we have. Is that, First of all, I want you to notice the effect of Jesus' word here, okay? Now, I, what I mean by that is that his, he, it's just so simple what he says to him. He literally walks by Matthew, sees Matthew, their eyes meet somehow in some way, and Jesus simply looks at him and just says, follow me. That's it. Very simple. He, there's no coercion. There's no promises, there's no bribes, there's no walking up to him and trying to convince him, there's no walking up to Matthew and saying, listen, here's the thing, you need to understand what you're doing to your nation, you need to understand this, there's no uh, a twisting of his arm, there's, there's no type of, okay, you think you're making a lot of money now, all right, doing this, you follow me, I will make you richer than beyond comprehension, there's none of this. There's none of this. There's no appealing to his conscience. There's no appealing to his sense of wealth. There's, there's nothing. It's just simply, follow me. The effect of Jesus' words, a simple request and command, right? But, but it's not only yeah, that. Again, let me play that out a little bit more, the simplicity of it, okay? 
The simplicity of it is just follow me, not go improve your worthiness. Just simply follow me. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying to the worst of the worst, the person who says that a grounded life is not possible for him, that you don't know the real me, you don't know what I've done. The simple phrase that Jesus says to someone like that is, follow me. That's it. Follow me. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that following Jesus Christ is easy, but it is simple. Do you understand the difference? Do you understand the nuanced difference there? It's not something that he makes very, very complicated. It's not something he's okay, listen, here's the deal, Matthew. <laughs> you, know, you know, between you and me, you're a loser, okay? But, but I've got a plan for you. What you need to do is you need to go, and you need to clean yourself up, and you need to do this, you need to go, and all this stuff. No, that's not what he does. He just says, follow me. Now, I don't know what was going on in Matthew's life. I don't know. Something was. We talked about the power of the Holy Spirit in our catechism question today. Obviously, that is at play here. But so there's this, this incredible Savior that we have on display here, that there's, there's this terrible sinner, there's someone that, that people would have despised and rejected. And then we have this simple, simple phrase of, follow me. But then Jesus talks a little bit more. When people start grumbling and complaining, and they're starting to, to, to question Jesus about this. He says this. He says in verse 31, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Here we have the beauty of Jesus' mission. So we had the power or the effect of his word. We had the simplicity of his message. And we have the beauty of, of his message here. He says, he says, I've come for the sick here. He says, the reason why I've come is I've come for the ones who need me, the ones who are broken, the ones who have gone through terrible situations, maybe who have messed up and who are dealing with the effects of their sin or whatever. He says, that's who I've come for. I mean, a lot of times the people, when, they, when, when they're dealing with their sin or they're dealing with the things that they've done or the weight that they're bearing, they, they, they feel like that the, the last person that wants to see them is Jesus, or the last person they want to be around is Jesus. And that's their guilty conscience going, and let me just tell you, look here, if that's you, if you struggle with that, okay, I want you to look in the text here and see what Jesus says to one of the worst of sinners right there. He says, follow me. We read earlier, when we started the service in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul said he was the chiefest of sinners. He was someone who rejected God, someone who hated God, who literally threw people in prison beat them, drug them off, separating families to throw them in prison because they followed Jesus. And that was the person that Jesus looked at and says, follow me. It's a beautiful Savior that we have. And so if you're struggling with sin, if you're struggling with the effects of sin, I want you just to look at the text with great hope and renewed hope today. Follow me. And if you're like, man, I, 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 you know, I know I'm a sinner, but I, I, didn't, I didn't come to church feeling the weight of my sin. I still want you to look at what Jesus says of follow me. That's, that's what he wants you to do. Don't prove anything. But I want you to understand the context of this. What was going on here? Okay, so I jumped from a conversation, and I intentionally did this. I, I jumped from Matthew sitting in a tax collector booth, Jesus making eye contact with him saying, follow me. Then I jump to Jesus saying, hey, I've come to heal the, uh, uh, the, the, the sick, right? Okay, that's who I've come for. Okay, but that conversation did not happen at the tax booth. Where did that conversation take place? Where did it take place? Look at the text. 
It took place around a table. In whose house? Matthew's. Did you see it there? It says, And Levi, verse 29, made him a great feast in his house. I, I don't know how that happened. I mean, think about this. Matthew sees Jesus. Jesus says, follow me. And the next thing we know, Matthew's making him dinner. That's cool. All right? But he's not alone. He says, and then it says, and, uh, and there was a large company of tax collectors with them. Okay? Don't miss that. Sometimes when we read our Bibles, we're just kind of reading through, and it's like, okay, okay, yeah, there's some other people there. No, no, no. Think about this for a second. Okay, despised person, sitting in a tax booth, cheating people. Jesus, follow me. Matthew says, why not? Okay, so he does. He says, let's have dinner. So he invites Jesus over, and he says, I want to have other people over too. The only people he knows are other tax collectors, the only people who would hang out with him. And so what does he do? He brings a whole bunch of people with him. So there's Jesus sitting around the table with a bunch of people that no one liked, okay? That's a great scene, right? Here's Jesus. This is a beautiful Savior, an incredible Savior that he's there sitting around the table. Now, why were the Pharisees so upset about this, though? Because that's what Jesus had the conversation with. He had the conversation with the Pharisees who were then at the table, they're, they're mocking Jesus and they're, they're upset with him, okay? Why are they so upset with this? Well, I'll tell you why they were so upset with this. It's because of what being at the table represented. That's, what, that's why they were so upset. Because a shared meal meant acceptance, unity, affinity, identification. That's what was, in, that's what was being communicated by eating there. So when the Pharisees saw Jesus eating with them, he was saying, he's identifying with these sinners. He's showing that he's like, he's, he's okay with them. They shouldn't be eating at the same table. If he's truly the son of God, he would never, ever eat at the table with these people. But what an incredible Savior. The beauty of Jesus' mission was that he wanted them, to, he wanted to eat with them. He wanted them to follow him. So if you feel like an outsider, an imposter, a misfit, an outcast, please know that according to this text, Jesus came for you. He did. It doesn't matter. You could, have, you could have spent your whole life growing up in church and still feel like an outsider, a misfit, an imposter. The weight of sin sometimes crushes us. The things we try to hide from other people. I just want you to know that you have an incredible Savior. I want you to know that it doesn't matter how long you've been part of this church or part of any church, whatever, that there is an incredible Savior that looks at you and says, follow me and I want to eat with you. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Beautiful message, incredible Savior. But I need to talk about one other thing this morning, and that is this miraculous salvation. What happened with Matthew? Okay, now, see, I, I chose the word miraculous intentionally there because the early church, if you read early church history, uh, 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 Thomas Aquinas puts, he, he put together a, a compilation of early church thought and things like this. And in one of his compilations of this, he references the story. And he says that uh, uh, if for a tax collector to follow Jesus, for a tax collector to, to turn away from his riches... And to follow Jesus, it had to be a miracle. This is what the early church said, Thomas Aquinas, in his compilation of this. They say, there's no other explanation 
for this. It had to be a miracle. Now, I, I think there's some hyperbole at play there, but it's just talking about the point here. The point is, is that this was insane. This was absolutely insane. And this is where I, I try, one of the things I try to do um, as I'm preaching, and, and I'm trying to teach you in some ways how to read your Bibles in the sense of that you've got to put yourself in the story, okay? You've got to go there and you've got you to think about, okay, what would be you be feeling? What would you, what would you sense? The smells, the taste, all this stuff. What would be going on in your life? This is how you read your Bible, particularly narrative passages like this. And so you, you have to understand here, you have to understand that, that, that in order for Matthew to give up everything and to leave him here, that was massive, monumental. We look at this and we're, we know we're reading the Bible, right? We know we're reading stories about Jesus and we know that, you know, he's good, he's God and all this stuff. And so it's like we read through it with this expectation and that's, that's okay and that's good. But just, just never lose the awe and the wonder, Okay. Never lose the awe and the wonder. So when you go to the scriptures and you're reading the stories, just, just think about, wait a minute here. Pretend like this is the first time you're hearing about this. And you know the background of, of how terrible Matthew is. And Jesus just says, yeah, yeah, follow me. And, and I want to eat with you. And, 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 and I've come for people like you. I'm like, where did this come from? How did this happen? Notice, though, that, and this is where I, I need to make sure I round out the teaching of this well. Because a lot of times a message will stop right here okay? And they'll say, like, here's the deal. You're a sinner. You're terrible. You're awful. And yeah, you're bad, okay? All right? But guess what? Jesus is God, and he's good, and he loves you, and he forgives you, and he accepts you, everything. And then we pray, and we go home. And it's a wonderful message. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that message. It's just slightly incomplete, okay? There's a phrase in here that is crucial to understanding this, and that is this, it says in verse 28, in leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Leaving everything. You see, it is true that God wants the prodigals. It is true that God accepts you as you are, okay? There's nothing wrong with that. But he doesn't accept you so that you stay like you are. He accepts you to transform you, to change you. And that means that we forsake things. We forsake old things. It doesn't mean we never struggle with them, but it says, that, listen, no more, right? Okay? We've sung about some of these themes already today. And so, forsaking all, he left everything. And it was important for him to do that because he could never, ever go back. When he got up and he left his post and he followed Jesus, he could never, ever, ever go back to his livelihood. Did you think about that? He was done. He couldn't go back to that job. Peter, he could have gone back to fishing, right? I mean, it didn't work out with Jesus. He could have gone back to fishing. No problem. In fact, in the end, that's what, Jesus, that's what Peter does. When Jesus dies and then they're waiting for the resurrection, what's going to happen? He doesn't know what's going on. Peter says, I'm going fishing. And he goes fishing, right? So he goes back to his livelihood. Matthew couldn't do that. Matthew did not have that choice to go back. He was unhirable at this point. He had no job opportunity. Tax collector's not going to want him back. And no self-respecting Jew is going to hire him. So when it says here, in leaving everything, that means he left everything to follow Jesus. He was willing to put all of his eggs in one basket, and that basket was Jesus of Nazareth. 
So the key here in this, the key to this miraculous salvation is that, yes, God offers it. Yes, everything, but there's repentance. We have to repent of our sins, the Bible says. That's how we have forgiveness. The Bible says that, that we receive God's forgiveness when we repent of our sins. The Bible is very, very clear about that. So I'm not sure what was going on in Matthew's life at this point. I don't know what was leading him to the point where maybe he was considering his decisions and his life choices. I don't know what's going on, but something happened that day. Whatever it was, and I know the Holy Spirit had to be at work, he repented and he followed Jesus. He left everything and followed Jesus. My friend, that's the key to a grounded life right there. He who is willing to lose his life will find it, right? The paradox of following Jesus Christ. You see, it's repenting of our sins. It's true that God wants, I said this a second ago, I'll say it again, He wants the misfits. He wants the prodigals. But He wants them to follow Him in repentance and in faith like Matthew did. Matthew didn't go and follow Jesus and then go back to being a tax collector. It doesn't work that way. And sometimes there's so many people that they want to add the benefits of Jesus to their life. But they don't want to give up the things to distance them from Jesus in the first place. Please don't make that mistake. Be like Matthew here. Leave everything. Follow Jesus. So how does this lead to a grounded life then? So if you know that Jesus knows your worst sins, okay? Matthew knew when Jesus looked at him, whatever happened, Matthew just knew, okay, he knows. He knows. And he's asking me to follow him. If you know that Jesus already knows your absolute worst sins that no one else knows about, and yet he still came for you, what could shake you? I mean, there's sins that all of us would hate. We would absolutely be mortified if they got thrown up on the screen here. Something you said, something you did, whatever it is. You know, if, if that got thrown up, I know there's things in my life that they would just be absolutely mortified, right? God knows all those things. And yet... He says, follow me. He says, man, I want to eat with you. How? What can shake us then at this point? He knows us more than anyone else. And he says, I love you. Follow me. I want to transform you. What can shake us at this point? If we know that there's no sin that God will not forgive if we repent, we can live confidently and boldly. That doesn't mean we just do whatever we want and say, oh, he'll forgive me. That's showing that we don't understand what it truly means to follow God. But it does mean that when we do sin, that God will forgive if we repent. If we know that to be true, we can live confidently and boldly. If we know that God's acceptance isn't dependent upon your talents or your abilities or your accomplishments, you can confidently follow him a grounded life, right? It's not about what you do. It's about you following Christ, okay? So no matter what you've done, forgiveness is available, making a confident, grounded life possible for anyone who repents and follows Jesus. Remember Ravi? Remember him? Let me pick up the story. He says this, I had no idea what I was searching for when I ran away. It was a really strange scene, a teenage boy in a wheelchair roaming the streets and roads. One day I was just sitting at a train station and a Christian dressed in a white robe sat down beside me. I tried to lie 
and tell him that I was waiting for the next train. He knew it wasn't the truth. The next train wasn't scheduled to arrive for nine hours. The man opened the Bible and started talking with Ravi. Ravi continues the story. He says, he tried to persuade me that it was Adam's sin. I had no idea who that guy was. <laughs> it was Adam's sin that tainted the entire race, Ravi says. Not the sins of my previous life. The Christian told Ravi that God loved him and how he paid for his sins. Ravi said, all my life I've been told that the gods were angry with me since I did not please them enough. The man opened the Bible again, this time to Psalm 27.10. When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. It was amazing, he said. That verse seemed to come out of the blue, but I, I could not get it out of my mind. Ravi did not become a Christian that day. The man told Ravi that he could go to a Christian boarding school about an hour away. They would take care of him and let him continue his education. That's what he did. Fourteen months later, the gospel made sense to him. Fourteen months later, he finally understood God's forgiveness. He says, after 14 months of spiritual struggles and battles, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. All my sins were removed. What a freedom it was. And it still is today. But he had to leave everything. I, I won't take time to share the rest of the story here in detail, but I'll just say this, that he began to write his parents and tell them what had happened. They wrote back and said, you're dead to us. And for seven years, he continued to write them, and they didn't respond. His mom would once in a while sneak him some money, you know. A mom is always a mom, right, you know, to help kind of meet his needs. But he was never welcomed, never invited to any family function, for at least seven years. Because the end of the story is beautiful that he has traveled out of the country and he came back and asked to see his parents. And long story short, uh, they saw some change in him. And that led to them accepting Christ as their Savior as well. You see, we sing a song about living hope. It's talking about that our living hope is that he bore our shame. I don't know if you remember singing that just a few minutes ago. But that's exactly what happened. So if you come with these objections of, well, you don't know me. You don't know what I've done. I would just say this. It doesn't matter. Jesus already knows. And he bore your shame. He's an incredible Savior. Repent and follow him. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of it. And so maybe you're here today and you say, well, yeah, I, I'm, I'm believing in God. Can I just ask and implore you, go back to the wonder of salvation. Can I implore you to do that? And then can I, I also say, let's share that with people. Let's share that with people.